So it's almost time. I mean, all of the thrill and all of the excitement, it culminates in just a few days as Christmas is right around the corner. And listen, I am so excited about the Christmas season. And if you've been in this conversation, as we've kind of trekked through this series called Simply Christmas, then you'll know last week we talked a bit about traditions. You know, we, we talked about all the fun traditions like, like movies and cookies and the songs and the lights of Christmas. But, but, but I want to share one more tradition that, that I'm sure all of us in some way or another that, that we share together. And that's exchanging and unwrapping presents. That, that's the unwrapping process, right? And so with three kids who are ages eight, six, and three, the unwrapping process is one of my favorite, like two minutes of our entire year in our house. We love to unwrap presents. And, and I'll just say that, that I really appreciate like a nice, crisp, clean wrapped present. My wife does an incredible job and I use a lot of tape, okay? And so that's just kind of like how we approach the wrapping. But, but, but I love the unwrapping process. And, and as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about my kids, but just other people that I've seen unwrap presents. And there's all of these different styles of unwrapping. Like there's different unwrappers, so to speak. And so I just kind of want to share some of those. As I was reflecting on it, I want to give you a chance to do a little self-evaluation as you get ready to maybe unwrap some presents and maybe a little litmus test to determine like what kind of unwrapper you are. And so so do you do the the like timid tear, you know, where you just try to like sneak up the tape a little bit, like you're not even trying to to leave a trace that you were there. Like maybe for you, like you're the finger slider, you know, where you're trying to like get the entire wrapping off of the gift without breaking it. Kind of like my grandma used to do. It's like you're trying to peel a tangerine without tearing the peel or something. I don't even understand it. Or or maybe you, like my kids, like you're a rowdy ripper, right? You just rip into this thing. It doesn't matter how much time somebody spent wrapping. Like you were just ready to tear this thing wide open. Or maybe you're a box shaker, like I've never really understood this, but you're just like shaking the box. Don't do that type thing. And, and maybe you're a box shaker or, or a bag snooper, right? Like some of you, you see the bag and you cannot help but like twinkle the tissue paper to see what is down there. Or like my youngest, he, he's a bow plucker, right? If there's a bow, like the thing is boop, coming right off or, or maybe there's a couple more like a, a ribbon, like a, a ribbon snatcher. But like if you're a ribbon snatcher, you end up being like a twine twister where you get so tight you can't even get in. It's like, where are the scissors, right? Where are the scissors? Can't get this thing off. And, and listen, however you unwrap presents, maybe you're one of those or combination or, or some other unwrapper. I believe that like a Reese's, there's no wrong way when it comes to unwrapping presents. But, but at this point, like in our conversation, in our series, like, like so far, um, we've been unwrapping the Christmas story. And we've been talking about different characters and how they fit into this story. And so far, we've said that the wise men, they gave their best. The wise men gave their best at Christmas time to be a part of the Christmas story. And then we said the shepherds, they gave their experience. Like they gave their testimony. They, they gave like what they experienced in that moment for the story. And then last week we said that Joseph gave his reputation. Like he, he laid it all out on the line to be a part of the Christmas story. And then today we're talking about Mary and that Mary gave her all. 
that Mary gave her all, but, but we'll start unpacking her part of the story um, in, in a way that, that oftentimes we, we skip over. You, you see, many of us, when it comes to the Christmas story, we like to immediately jump to the sections that we love to highlight in our Bible. Like, like you know, the verses that are so Christmassy and they look good on like the DIY ornaments hanging throughout your house. And Chip and Joanna would be so proud of the rustic cheek charm, right? But if we jump to those verses and we, and we immediately jump to Christmas Eve, then we can miss a beautiful part of the story. And so we're going we're gonna to step back and kind of unwrap the entire story with Mary. And, and we'll do this. We'll do this because we have to understand that the destiny of Jesus to the cross, we, we must first unwrap the gift of Jesus to the manger. So for us to, to, to fully grasp the story of Jesus, we have to start at the very beginning. And so Jesus is going to head to the cross, but it starts in a wooden cradle called a manger. And so I'm going to invite you, I'm going to invite you to Luke chapter one to dive in with me and I'll catch you up. We're going to jump in at verse 26, but I'll catch you up on the first 25 verses. You see, at this point, like God has officially ended his 400 years of silence by way of an angel, by way of a message from an angel named Gabriel. And God has broken that silence and he carried a message to a priest named Zechariah. And he shared with Zechariah that he and his wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a baby that they're going to have a baby boy and his name is going to be John. And, and John will ultimately grow up to be a man named John the Baptist, right? And so this is their story. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're very old. Like they're very old when this all goes down. And so they had a really tough time coming to grips with this reality, this, this idea that we are going to have a baby. And so Zechariah, he he begins to doubt the whole thing. He begins to doubt the whole situation and to the point where God literally like hits the mute button on his mouth and he can't speak until John is born. And when we step back on this side of history, we look at it and, and we're like, Zachariah, how could you lack so much faith? Like literally God sent an angel and we talk about it as if it's like, like if God sent an angel to me, there's no way I would doubt. Right. And we look at that, but but, but you have to think about it. Put yourself in his, his shoes for a moment. Zachariah, he, he's old, right? And, and he's thinking, he, it's like, listen, listen, we're going to be the only folks at the nursing home nursing a baby, right? Like, like me and my wife, we're going to be the only people like strolling up to Walmart and signing up for a subscription to both LeapFrog and Life Alert, right? And so he's trying to grasp this and he's thinking like, like, how can I not be skeptical about this whole thing? Because imagine, imagine these are two God fearing, like kingdom workers who've been obedient to God and his call on their life. And they've desired to have a baby for most of their life. And it's never happened. L listen, that may hit close to home for you. Like maybe the desire of your heart is to be a mother or to have a child, to, to be a parent. And, and, and you, you've tried, but, but, but you're continually left feeling hopeless. 
because it just doesn't happen. And listen, I, I don't pretend to have any answers, but I, I can say that, that, that don't mistake the silence of God for the absence of God because God was still at work and I don't know what he has for you, but I believe that God is a miracle worker and he continues to do that and he can breathe life into a barren womb. And so I encourage you to continue bringing that to God. But, but I understand this season, it can kind of draw up some, some hurt inside of you and those are feelings that Zachariah and Elizabeth were well versed in. Until, until God showed up and God desired to use them in critical roles to announce the arrival of King Jesus. And so we read that, that in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, that her younger cousin Mary received some pretty world-rocking and life-altering news. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And I want to pause there for just a moment because there's a name that stands out. This name, Gabriel, right? We just mentioned him, but Gabriel is this angel. And, and whenever I see the name Gabriel, like whistles start going off in my mind and in my heart, because I know when Gabriel is mentioned, like a mission is about to be carried out. Like, like when Gabriel would be called in, he's kind of like a top dog, like five star, like, like angel. Okay. And so he's called in and whenever he is summoned, a mission is going to be accomplished. And so Gabriel comes in and Gabriel, he, he was used to carrying mission. We read in the old Testament between God and the prophet Daniel, not once, but twice. And then, then he carried the, the message from God to Zechariah. And now again, Gabriel is called in. And, and so we, we see that Gabriel says, you're to go to Nazareth, a town in Galilee in verse 27 to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And I want to, I want to just pause and see how personal God is. I mean, look at this, like how detail oriented and precise God is. He doesn't say like, hey, just grab any angel, like whoever's available. Hey, Ralph, come. no, you're good. Okay, and Angela, come here. No, he doesn't do that. He says, hey, Gabriel, I've got a message for you to deliver. And then he goes on, he says, listen, you're gonna go to Nazareth. All right, this is the town of, of David. And there's a girl there named Mary. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph. And listen, I don't know where Gabriel was on like, like the heavenly celestial org chart. Like, I don't know how much Gabriel was previewed to or he knew, but I do know this. I'm sure of this, that Gabriel was fully aware of the prophecies of the coming Messiah that he knew that God was going to eventually break the silence and put a mission into motion. And, and so Gabriel, I imagine him maybe with a little black book and he's jotting all these details down and, and, he, and he's putting it together. And then there's this moment, there's this moment where, where like he's starting to make connections. There's a moment where like a light bulb goes off and it's possible, I'm just saying it's possible that like that Gabriel's angelic jaw just hits the floor. 
Like when he, when he realizes what God is about to do, the message, the good news he is about to deliver. And listen, I'm just saying it's possible when he takes off from the throne room of heaven to a living room in Nazareth that, that, that like you've heard of the Aurora Borealis, right? Like the Northern Lights. It's, I'm just saying it's possible that like all he left in his wake was like a Nor'easter and he just shows up because we read in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I mean, maybe. I mean, that's what he said, but maybe that's how he said it. But there's some punctuation there. I feel like we have to pay attention to, and I'm sure it doesn't even begin to do it justice because what we read is, is Gabriel shows up and he opts not for the normal angel introduction. He shows up and says, greetings, greetings. And, and, and then Mary Mary is thinking like, what is going on? We read verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah, I mean, you think? Like, like normally, like they start off, right, with the do not be afraid. And then they kind of deliver their message. And we really don't know what angels look like, but, but we can be sure that they're not like cute pink toddlers with bows and arrows shooting hearts. No, no, no. Like angels, angels are like celestial Navy seals and ultimate warriors. And so just the very presence of them will be intimidating. And so, so Gabriel shows up and he bursts out with this greeting and he says, you are highly favored. And how does he know? Like how does Gabriel know that Mary is highly favored because he just left the throne room of the almighty God, the Alpha and Omega, and he heard what God was saying about Mary. And so he shows up, he said, you are highly favored. Like God was just talking about you, Mary. Like God in the presence, in the midst of his majesty and all of his glory had your name coming out of his mouth and he was talking about you, you are highly favored. And then after this, this like this jumbled up introduction and he's kind of getting the message and then he, it's like he backtracks a little bit because verse 30, like here comes the don't be afraid. says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will bear, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And we call the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so this is the message that Gabriel gives from God to Mary. And just imagine for a moment, Mary a bit baffled, right? Probably pretty perplexed in this moment, maybe a bit confused and even jittery. And she, and she responds with a very logical question. Verse 34, she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, which that's a legitimate question, right? And a very logical question. She says, how will this all come about? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, so, so that's the, the how. But listen, 
as fascinating as the how of the virgin birth is, we cannot miss the why. You see, Jesus, Jesus would go on to bookend his life on earth with the miraculous, with these mighty divine works of the Holy Spirit. But know this, as amazing as it was, the virgin birth is not the reason why people rallied around Jesus. The virgin birth was, was fulfilled prophecy, an incredible way for, for the Son of God to begin existence on earth. But it's not the reason that people rallied around Jesus. You see, the resurrection is the reason. And after Jesus' death, it, no one was saying, well, listen, listen, guys, it's okay. Because remember, he was born of a virgin. No one was like, listen, it's okay. We don't be scared, disciples, because we can still rally on and continue the dream. Like we can continue this movement because he was born of a virgin. Nobody said that. Because when that time came, when Jesus died, they expected him to stay dead, no matter how he was born. But he didn't. He did it. And that was the rally cry that this man, that this man was, was miraculously conceived of a virgin, but he went on to perform the inconceivable act of the resurrection that Jesus, that Jesus died, but Jesus lives again. That is what we rally around. But in this moment, we go back to this moment, you can imagine like Mary's head is probably spinning and, and, and an angel, think of it, an angel just bursts into your, your home, like you're just kind of carrying on with whatever you're doing. An angel shows up and says, listen, God's found favor with you. You're thinking like, what's going on? And he starts telling you all this stuff, says, listen, we, we, we know, we know, like we know that you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. It's going to be God's son. And listen, this baby you have is going to be like no other baby ever because he's not going to stay a baby. He's going to grow up and, and be a man, but not like any other man ever. This, 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 this baby you're going to have, is going to grow up to have a never ending kingdom. He's going to grow up to conquer sin and to conquer death. And, and she's thinking like, what? Like what is going on? And, and look, I believe I believe in this moment that God understood that she would have a fair dose of confusion, that she would have some, some questions and that this would be hard to swallow. And so what he does next is he kind of gives Mary a bit of comfort and confirmation. I love this. And Gabriel says, all right, you, you know, your cousin Elizabeth, like, like who was said to be barren, like she couldn't have any babies. Well, well, even in her old age, she's going to have a baby. In fact, she's six months pregnant. You can actually go see for herself. You go feel the baby kick. Like you can go do that. We read that verse 36. Even Elizabeth, Gabriel says, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. And look, I love this. But because I believe God knew. Like, like God knew that Mary needed this. Like Mary needed an outlet. Like she needed someone to confide in. She needed a friend. She needed someone to vent to, to cry on, to laugh with. Like, like it's another example of how personal God is and how distinct his provision is. But because get this, get this, that God's gift for you may never be a present someone gives, but the presence they have. 
the presence they have like in your life. And so whether that's the presence of like a friend or a mentor or a brother or sister or parent, or, or, you know, it's, it's kind of like getting socks and PJs for Christmas. Those are easy gifts to take for granted, but they're absolutely necessary. And again, God's gift for you, it may never be like, like a present that someone gives, but the presence they have in your life. And I believe that that's exactly the gift that Mary needed. She needed the gift of a shoulder to lean on. And that's what God provided. And we see that here. And then, and then we see this statement. We see this statement, this proclamation that the angel makes just before he bounces out. And, and, and we see him say this. And some of you need to just lean in and hear this and rest in this today. For nothing is impossible with God. And then, and then the moment that Gabriel had been waiting for. You see, he brought a message from God to Mary, but God was expecting an RSVP. He was expecting a response. And so, so Gabriel needed to bring a, a message from Mary back to God. And he's waiting for her response to this invitation. And, and, and you know, Frederick Buechner in his book, peculiar treasures. He paints this creative picture of, of that moment and the potential thoughts going on in Gabriel's mind. Imagine this. It says she struck the angel Gabriel. It's hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with the message to give her and, and he gave it. And he told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. That you mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped that she wouldn't notice that beneath the giant great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole world, that the whole future of creation hung now on the answer of a little girl. And so Mary, I mean, completely blown away and likely overwhelmed with uncertainty, she courageously says yes. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And so here's what we see. That in the midst of the mundane, God works out the miraculous. That in the midst of the mundane, God works out the miraculous. And, it, and it's that, that's the way that he's continued to work all throughout history. And, and when Mary had the opportunity to be a part of this story. She jumped at that opportunity, not, not needing all the answers, not needing, um, not needing to have clarification on everything before she took a step. No, she had faith. And she courageously said yes to be a part of this story. And it kind of reminds me of this, this little story that the late Sir Ken Robinson shared in his like world-renowned TED talk several years ago, he talks about this little six-year-old girl in art class. And this little girl, she was very fidgety and she had a hard time paying attention. But this one day, she was like all in on this project and she was really focused. And so the teacher found that peculiar and came over and just said like, hey, what are you doing? What are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher kind of laughed and smirked and said, but nobody knows what God looks like. She said, well, they will in a minute. And essentially, 
And that's exactly what Mary's response was to Gabriel. She's saying like, I get to be a part of ushering God into the human experience. Like people will soon know what God looks like. People will soon be able to follow him, not like from from a, a pillar of fire and a cloud. But, but walking with a man named Jesus and she's understanding, I get to be a part of that. I don't know what all it's gonna entail, but I get to be a part of that. And she says, yes. And so we see this again and again, God, God showing up to rescue humanity and to make his name great by way of ordinary people, by, by way of people like the wise men and the shepherds and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and now Mary, but the question is, will you say yes? Will you say yes to, to being a part of the God reveal in your life and to those in your life? So, so let's read. Let's read what's next. This is one of my favorite parts of the story we have to unwrap. Let, let's see what happens right after Mary decides to let God use her. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So, so think about this. Think about this. Like Mary, Mary has just found out this news. She's pregnant and she's just heard, hey, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And so she goes, okay, like I need to go like share this, like birth announcement with somebody, right? And so she takes off, shows up to their house. And then verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, did you catch that? Like, like think about what's going on. Like Mary with little baby Jesus in her belly. It's like showing up. She's knocking on the door, door flings open. And then Elizabeth with six month little baby John in her belly, like a little bit bigger. Elizabeth is standing here. Mary comes bursting in and she's like, hello. And as soon as she's like starting to talk, then all of a sudden baby John starts like, like, like parading that Jesus is here. Like baby John in her belly, in that moment, he begins to sing like joy to the world and mighty to save. And he begins to, to proclaim in that moment, like to all of the womb that Jesus is here and Jesus has come to serve and Jesus has come to save because remember John is the forerunner of Christ and it began in that moment. He sensed the movement of the Holy Spirit and he said, yes, even in that moment. So we see another ordinary little baby joining in on the story of God and we see God work in this miraculous way to announce who Jesus is. And again, in the midst of the mundane, God works out the miraculous. And the story continues and, and Mary and Elizabeth, they, they begin celebrating too. And, and they, you know, they're, they're squealing, they're ooing and eyeing. They're, they're just like lighting up probably tears of joy. And then Mary breaks out into this beautiful song to the Lord. You can read that this triumphant like exclamation of saying yes to God's plan for her life. And, and then Luke's account, it, it kind of begins to pick up and, and the manger is now just pages away as we're like rounding third and heading closer to Christmas ourselves and the birth of Christ is looming. And as you trek through the gospels, 
As you, as you read, not just the Christmas story, but you begin reading beyond the story, you begin to see that, that the destiny of this child is being revealed all throughout his life. And Jesus allows us and invites us to come closer and closer, to become more intimate with him, to truly grasp why God humbled himself to a manger and why God would humble himself to a cross. And we get to see the story of Jesus saying yes to God's plan for his life and for all of humanity. But we cannot miss this. We cannot miss, as we mentioned last week, that when the time came for God to rescue humanity and to make his name great, he showed up and used ordinary people. He showed up and invited simple, common people and people who just say, yes, Lord, I am your servant. And when our ability, when our ability takes us to this point, but God still has more work for us to do, the Holy Spirit fills in the gap. And we have to trust that, that we do what we can do, and then we trust God to do what only God can do. But this Jesus, this baby was no ordinary baby. This was no common baby. It was no simple baby, completely human, absolutely, completely God, no doubt. You see, the destiny of this child can be perfectly summed up in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, as Jesus himself says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life for ordinary people who say yes to something more who say yes in the midst of the mundane, who say yes to being used for the miraculous, who say yes to Jesus. And I'm sure when we rewind all those years ago and, and Gabriel, visited, excuse me, Gabriel visited Mary and, and, and she, he shows up and she doesn't fully understand, but she says yes anyways. She doesn't know what she's saying yes to, right? I mean, she has some kind of like really small tip of the iceberg invitation and she says yes to it. But when we look at, at the series of events that happened, there's no way she could fully comprehend what she was saying yes to. And that's the same way that God works in our lives. That oftentimes there's a sense of sacrifice and a sense of ambiguity when you say yes to following God. And that's what happened with Mary when she said yes. It meant surrendering her future. She wasn't planning on having a baby at such a young age, but she, she surrendered her future. And when she said yes, it, it meant facing the doubts of her fiance. You see, when Mary said yes, it meant enduring the scorn of neighbors seeing her pregnant before marriage. And when Mary said yes, it meant bearing the pain of childbirth. Get this, not in a cozy, romanticized, warm, rustic, sanitized stable, but in the dark and cold of the night among filthy farm animals without the assistance of nurses or a midwife or her own mama or, or, or a bed or ice chips or pain medicine. When Mary said yes, it meant having to flee in the middle of the night to far off Egypt to protect her baby boy from the bloodthirsty King Herod. And when she said yes, it meant raising a child she didn't quite understand and never fully would. 
And then finally, when she said yes, it, it would mean watching her son, her firstborn baby boy die on a cross. And in doing so, it meant that Mary gave her all. And so our last picture of Mary is, is actually found in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And it shows her praying with the disciples after the resurrection. And, and the Holy Spirit um, is, is soon going to fall on them. And they're praying for that. They're being obedient to what Jesus had told them to do. And what we have to see here in this moment is that, that Mary... Mary had begun her relationship with Jesus by carrying him in her belly and then holding his tiny form in her arms. But, but in the end, she would realize that she must surrender and allow Jesus to hold her. And to that too, she said, yes, not only was Jesus her son, but Jesus was her savior. And it brings us back to this truth, one last time that in the midst of the mundane, God works out the miraculous. And today, his mission remains. He continues to show up and use ordinary people to carry out his mission. And so the question is, will you let him use you? Will you say yes? Will you let Jesus hold you? Let's pray. Father, what a wild ride for Mary. God, of all the people and all the places, thank you for unfolding your story the way you did. That, that God, in the midst of the mundane, you worked out the miraculous. And God, thank you for using common, ordinary people then and, and the promise that you'll continue. And, and Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus in the manger that, that ultimately led to the destiny of Jesus on the cross. God, I thank you for swaddling clothes to a crown of thorns that this baby who was once cuddled grew to be a man who championed over sin and death. God, we celebrate in all of who you are and, and God, we celebrate who we are in you. God, we lift the name of Jesus, the same name that rolled off his mother's tongue as she peered over that manger and God, it's the same name that is above every other name. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And what a great message by Philip. I'm so proud of him. Grateful to have him a part of our team. If you've heard something or something kind of triggered, you know, a thought or a memory in you, and you'd like to process maybe something that you've heard this, this morning in this message, uh, it's very simple. Drop us a message through social or you can send us an email to notes to Monty at nccleX.org and we'll follow up with you. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, if you're new with us, we're so glad that you've tuned in. Whether this is your first time or you've been checking us out for a while now, uh, we'd love to connect with you and we'd love to navigate your next steps uh, around here with you. So you can click on the link in the comments and go and fill out a connect card and we'll follow up. We'll be in touch with you very soon. Hey, thanks again for joining with us today. It's a real privilege to get to host you. We hope that we will see you at one of our in-person or online services this Christmas Eve. And in the meantime, just know we miss you. We look forward to seeing you very soon. 
God bless.